0: And welcome to another episode of Total Reboot, and this is a beautiful special edition. We're going to be wrapping up the year with a few of our favourite cinematic releases, or, I mean, some of these aren't even released in cinema, but we will be celebrating movies and cinema no matter how the movies reach you on this end-of-year episode. My name is Alexis Taliopoulos, and joining me on this special episode is the host of C, Also, one of my favourite freaking people in the whole world to talk about film with It's Kate Jinx.
1: Hey, Alexi, thank you so much for having me. It is always an honour to uh, to have my voice beside <laughs> yours.
0: It's been a while since you and I have had the chance to do like an end-of-year wrap-up together.
1: Yeah, it really has. It's been like we used to do it on we used to do it on TV. On TV
0: <laughs> on when TV. we were famous.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and look at us now, just our voices. Uh, we're just, you know, off in the ether. It's been, it's been some time since we've talked about like our favourites. Like we've met up to talk about specific films Mm -hmm. but we talked about petite maman remember that was probably the last film we went deep on but uh
0: how could i ever forget it's a glowing experience that movie it's It's the last thing with me all year i just bought the blu-ray as well kate
1: oh well do you know my biggest film (laughs) thing of the year (laughs) (laughs) is I have made a return to physical media thanks to you, Alexi (laughs) Toliopoulos.
0: It makes me so happy. When I got that text from you saying, I have bought a Blu-ray player, please teach me, please mentor me. I was like, oh my God, great. I've caused some good in this world.
1: Well, I used to spend all my money on those goddamn Criterion Mm -hmm. uh, releases and like BFI releases. And for the last, I don't know, 10 years, I've really been saving my pennies, not buying them, and now I'm back in there again but what I'm buying more and more is films that you can't stream on DVD off eBay so I just yeah 200 cigarettes arrived in the mail yesterday wow
0: that's it you it's a dangerous game you're playing now Kate because you'll find all (laughs) these white whales out there that you're like well I can't access this any other way time for me to buy a 60 dollar out of print crap DVD from across the world. That's so words, many. Apart from re-entering the realm of physical media and experiencing the movies that way, how has 2022 been for you in cinema? It's been a bit of a return to uh, physical outings to the cinema for you across the world. Has it been a positive year? Has it been a great year?
1: It has been a super positive year. It's been a great year for film, I think. I've had some excellent viewing experiences and I've been lucky enough to uh, like, cause I program for the Melbourne international film festival here and I'm the director of programming at golden age in Sydney, but uh, I've also been lucky enough to get to go to festivals. So I, I went mm. to Berlin and Cannes and I just got back from the film bazaar in Goa in India. And it's just been wild to have the luxury of going to another continent pretty much to view films and to like meet directors and so that's been yeah just just delightful what about you I think it's been a
0: really great year but it's been a surprise year for me almost where I think this year has been almost a year where I've gone to the cinema a bit less I've had a lot more on so it's not as been you know the highest priority in my life where it usually is the highest priority in my life but I think what I've got so much out of it is surprise and discovery and for me it's been films i didn't expect to be perhaps so great have delighted me with like a lot of surprise like a film that i've talked about on this podcast already was like top gun maverick i don't love the original top gun it's my least favorite tony scott film and i love <laughs> tony scott and i went into it with almost zero expectation and it was just one of those ones that just surprised me and blew me away and i think that's kind of almost the message of the year for me is It was almost a return for big movies for me, stuff that's close into the realm of blockbuster, which is something I've not experienced for a long time. Usually, it's about, like, the smaller discoveries and kind of seeking things out uh, or, you know, the films I discover through film festivals. I think this year was a little bit different for me in that regard, but... On today's podcast, because I've talked so much about Top Gun Maverick, everything, everywhere, all at once, already on this podcast, I think what I want to do and what I like for this kind of of end-of-year list is to... Kind of conjure up those feelings of discovery for the listener to maybe seek out some of those movies that we've not heard of yet or a little bit, you know, the next tier down, some of those things that maybe are already online or things coming out. I think that's kind of the way that you and I have kind of tackled to putting together some kind of end of year wrap up for, you know, some more surprises for you to go out and find.
1: Yeah. I like that because, yeah, I mean, I, I, I haven't seen a lot of the big films, mostly because the when they hit the cinemas, they're not, like, on my viewing radar for work mm. purposes. So, if I'm, like, really busy watching all of the smaller films and, you know, waiting for those discoveries, I miss out on... Your Top Gun Mavericks, etc. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen Avatar. I haven't seen it yet.
0: <laughs> well, I have seen Avatar. Maybe that will be the movie that I will kick this discussion off with, this list, uh, because I just saw it, and I am an unabashed Avatar fan. I saw the first one in cinema uh, because it came out the year that I was finishing high school. So I- it's so bizarre to be... I'm a completely different person to when I first saw it. Well, not really. I actually don't think I've ever gone through a true metamorphosis in my life. I've been yeah, the same Are you my a whole, Na'vi?
1: Whole is that what you're saying?
0: <laughs> now I have. I've completely changed since <laughs> seeing it again. But Avatar, The Way of the Waters is what I will call this movie. The Way of the Waters. Um, it is it, it is so strange because I think we have like this completely different world of like big blockbuster movies now. When Avatar originally came out, I was like, wow, that was cool. That was beautiful. That was kind of amazing. But now when I look back on that first one, I'm kind of shocked that the biggest film of all time, as far as like box office earnings go, it was a film with like a strong anti-colonial message and a strong pro-environmentalist message. And I think now when you look at like the comparative films that come out, like the big action science fiction, fantasy blockbusters, To even think of them having our message, let alone a strong progressive message, feels freaking insane. And so I think to see uh, someone who is a master filmmaker who works in a field that I don't even really often work my way into at all, James Cameron, to come back, make something humongous that is like an eye splitter. It's kind of mesmerizing. It's absolutely spectacular in, in some essences. But what really hit me watching it this time was this new one, The Way of the Waters, <laughs> is that... He grounds the spectacular and the sublime in character in a way that I think is so clever on, like, a screenwriting level. Like, the story is pretty base. The story is not not unfamiliar, the plot lines, at least. But then he kind of conjures, like, these characters that all feel so grounded or so, at least, fascinating. And the key to it all, to me, is something I'm going to tell you that's going to sound insane. Uh, Sigourney Weaver plays a character called Kiri, who is maybe my favorite character I've ever seen in a fantasy film. She is now playing a 14-year-old Na'vi character, a teenage girl. Sigourney Weaver is Sigourney doing mocap. P- yes, playing a teenage girl who's having Ripley. First crushes. Ripley is playing a 14-year-old girl. <laughs>
1: Wow, this feels mm. like—is she catfishing? What's happening here?
0: Well, she is a cat. She does go fishing, so you're not far <laughs> off. Um, but it is kind of amazing because it's it, it, with this technology. Sigourney Weaver obviously has been a 14 year old girl, so she captures some kind of incredible lived-in experience playing this young character, and it captures like this kind of soulfulness, this spirituality that I just did not anticipate truly connecting with in this movie. They found fascinating. Even the characters like this little kid called Spider that's got these dreadlocks you're seeing on the posters. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to like this or like this movie. And I'm like, lo and behold, I love this stupid character. I think it is quite a wonderful experience. You won't see anything like this until the next one comes around as far as like big fantasy spectaculars go. Um You know, I I quite enjoyed Avatar. I I was looking forward to it, but I enjoyed it even more than I thought I would because it's bizarre to come to terms with it actually being real now.
1: Look, I'm not anti-Avatar, I will say. Thank goodness. Um, I saw saw it when it first came out. I took my dad. (laughs) Um, I remember it was the first time anyone... Received a phone call on their mobile in a film I was in, and also answered it and spoke to the person and had a full conversation. So that was so I don't yeah. So that that's that's kind of you know has become my (laughs) way of water of thinking of Avatar. But I mean I will see it. I missed the I missed the big IMAX screening of it here. Um, The blonde kid with dreadlocks has put me off. He's put me off.
0: Yes. I I, I was like, that looks so stupid. I don't like the look of this. He's a feral child, but I I love this kid. (laughs) I love this kid. Like, I love all the characters in this movie. Bizarre. Great screenwriting from James Cameron in a way that no one else is really doing, like big blockbusters grounded in character. Interesting stuff. Kate, what is your first pick on the list?
1: Uh, Well, okay, look, for (laughs) terms of... uh, grandeur let's say in the same kind of uh I mean it's not quite uh, mm-hmm. Avatar but uh Sarah Dosa's Fire of Love I'll start with because wow. it is all about the big screen experience mm-hmm. which is what I imagine Avatar is I mean you're not watching it on your you know your Shrek TV at home you know <laughs> um, on your Game Boy or whatever. (laughs) But Fire of Love was really, I actually saw it first on Mm. a screening link and then went back to see it in a cinema just because I needed that experience. I don't know if you saw it, but uh, it's
0: I missed it, but it was one I was dying to see. It's a documentary, right?
1: Yes, it's this great documentary. It premiered at Sundance this year and then did the festival circuit and then was released in cinemas in Australia. Uh, It's by Sarah Dosa, narrated by Miranda July, who just has the perfect voice for this. The film uses 100%. It's not like talking heads at all, this documentary. It's 100% archival imagery, created by these two volcanologists who were in love it's all about two people who the only thing they loved more than volcanoes was each other you know like it is just the most beautiful love story between their kind of against all odds um attitude towards uh like being in the scientific community and capturing Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, what was happening, like, with the landscape and travelling to every different volcano. But one of them would take, uh, like, micro shots. So they would be filming the lava, like, bubbling underneath their feet while the other one would stand back and take, like, the macro. And so you would see, like, this huge expanse of volcanoes. It's so extraordinary. And do you know what? Werner Herzog also made a documentary about this couple in the same year. But you haven't really heard about that one because it's... Herzog couldn't do what Saradosa did. Um, It's just such an unlikely story. Um, And, of course, they were... They did perish in a volcano um, in an eruption, as they were always destined to do. Um, But, God, it's just so beautiful. It's just all this, like, bubbling lava and eruptions and incredible 70s fashion uh, with Miranda July's kind of very soft narration over the top of it. It was just absolutely extraordinary. And do you know what? Like, I did see it in the cinema and I, I had a fantastic experience, but for anyone who hasn't seen it, I mean, I had just as good a time really watching it on my television at home. It's really unmissable, this film. And I think a lot of document like we have a lot of documentaries in production and coming out sort of more than ever and more people talking about them. But there are more documentaries that are produced explicitly by streamers and I, you know, and they kind of fall into this like talking heads, like, I don't know, there's a real cookie cutter method with this sort of really stands out from, from those films. It's beautiful, Alexia. I can't wait for you to see it.
0: I can't wait either. I missed it every time I tried to see it. I just couldn't line it up. And I think soon, or at least now, it might be ready to have some kind of at home viewing. So I'm dying to see it. Uh, One film that I want to talk about next is on the complete opposite scale of Avatar and Fire of Love, a very small, intimate, sweet, sad little movie from Ireland. It's a Gaelic film called The Quiet Girl. I caught this at the Melbourne International Film Festival. Ever heard of it? Yeah. Have you heard of it? It's a beautiful (laughs) film festival. And it actually was my first year going down for it. Oh, wow. This was such a perfect movie to catch in that kind of film festival setting it is basically a story about this a titular quiet girl this young girl in this family full of kids but she's different she's much softer more sensitive quieter than the rest of this rambunctious family and they just kind of can't This family kind of can't deal with her financially or in the mix of the family. As stuff is kind of bubbling up, so they send her off to some relatives, like a couple of an older couple that are related, like as cousins or an older sister. And uh, it is just the softest story. There's just minor little plots, but for me, whenever it's these films about like children. Uh, There's this... The perspective, I think, is so key. And this kind of captures that perspective of an observant child, like a child that is just like a bit of a wallflower, kind of seeing the world around them and the interactions of adults as they kind of almost softly put things together without like actually making it a puzzle piece to understand someone it's just like the things that children pick up and slowly understand and this was just a movie that i watched with like an absolute wet face like full of salty tears because it just like hit me with it's like absolute kindness and sweetness and tenderness i think this might be the film that i loved the most this year
1: yeah, wow. It's a heartbreaker, isn't it? It's
0: a really delicate film. That's all I can really say about it. But just, I was a rinse. And I saw it sitting next to an acquaintance that we don't really know each other very well, another film critic. And you were like, oh, hey, do you want to see it? Join me. We didn't have anyone else there. And just, we, I think we're forever bonded because we just like had these wet faces watching this movie.
1: Oh, yeah. i I can actually meet you in a sad... Film about a young girl, uh, a total tender heartbreaker. <laughs> it's not out in cinemas in Australia yet, um, mm-hmm. but it comes out in very early Feb. But it's done a couple of festivals, and um, it played Miff and it played the British Film Festival. And I imagine they'll have some pretty early previews of it. But it is uh, Charlotte Wells' After Sun. It's currently topping. Oh, sorry, That's my hot. dog coughed. He doesn't like the movie. <laughs> um, it's currently. It's currently topping pretty much every single poll. It just came uh, back as the number one film as voted by critics for Sight and Sound for the year. It's won every award really possible for this, (laughs) for Charlotte and for the the actors. Um, It's a really beautiful film. She's a Scottish director based in New York, uh, premiered at Cannes, and it's essentially about kind of family and memory and it's just the most tender thing it's so beautiful so sweet it follows one holiday uh that an 11 year old child goes on with her dad her parents are separated the kids played by frankie corio who was just like cast from nothing she's never acted before she's brilliant and her dad is played by Paul Mescal, So she has these young parents who have split up, but they're still kind of in this amicable relationship. And she goes on holidays to Turkey with her dad. And you see their holiday unfurl over like normal footage and then combined with the camcorder footage that they've got Uh, so you see her recording the dad and the dad recording the holiday and then it comes back to the older character uh, watching it as an adult so it's all about the idea of what you think is going on uh, as a child in like this kind of adult world and then looking back and seeing like what your dad was actually going through and what the relationship there is and Everything that has passed between that holiday when she was 11 and her um, and her birthday as an adult it's just gorgeous the soundtrack is so good it's filmed wow. in like it's set in the mid 90s like 94 95 mm. so we're talking blur we're talking wow. uh, brand van 3000 we're talking steps we're talking REM it's a great soundtrack wow. it makes a lot of sense when you see it Paul mekel is Wonderful as mm. this quite broken young dad um, who is kind of a little aimless and is just doing this his best job looking after his kid. It's just, it's so beautiful. It's, it's my favourite film of the year, I would say.
0: I think you just described a film that sounds like made for me i love that kind of like mixed media type approach to something and especially an approach to a uh, conflicting perspective just mm. that sounds like brilliance
1: yeah it's so it's such a special film
0: oh my gosh well i actually cannot wait to see it i recently started watching normal people of paul mescal uh and i think that he rocks i think he's a fantastic actor
1: he's so good he's so good uh, I saw another film with him. In the, you can cut this out. But I saw him in another film this year that hasn't come out yet, um, and yeah, he's just remarkable. Like he's just incredible actor. I, I feel like he could get a nomination. Like he could get an Oscar wow. nom for this. He's so good. Gosh,
0: yeah, that's oh, that's so exciting. I, I feel like this year, when it comes to the Oscars, when if I'm thinking that pie in the sky stuff, I really do think that it will be a bit of a breakthrough year where we will be seeing like a lot of like newer names coming through, especially in those performance categories.
1: Yeah, I mean, I do wonder about this film about whether it could actually go to the Oscars because it is like it is just getting so much. So many great reviews. It's topping polls. It's winning awards. But I don't know if the divide is just too big.
0: You never know. But I feel like this is going to be a strange year. I don't know. I actually cannot pick what they will be outside of, like, heavy contenders. Like, I guess Elvis, to me, feels like a lock because it's like a a biopic with a big performance. I I actually am. That's a pure guess. I was like, that must be the safest one because it feels... Weird yet oscar your no made me doubt it completely. And I'm like, okay, I have no idea anymore.
1: I just I, I just would be surprised. I mean, I will probably get nominated. I don't know. Maybe The Fablemans because Hollywood mm. loves a film about Hollywood. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Fablemans is an interesting one. Fablemans almost put it on my list myself because I think... I'm, I love Spielberg. I think everybody does. It's hard not to love Spielberg if you have any kind of relationship with cinema. You have some kind of relationship with at least one or two of his films. The Fablemans was so interesting because not only is it his most revealing movie, it also communicates how much he's been revealing about himself through all his movies. And I found that to be quite a moving insight. It's a... I think... Uh, that movie i'm still processing almost
1: i haven't seen it my guess was purely cynical but uh i kind of mm. think that banshees of Inish sharon might win
0: <sighs> great which i
1: loved i loved, loved it.
0: it too i loved it too uh martin mcdonough interesting guy i think it's his best film
1: it's 100 his best film i really hated billboards mm. uh out of Wherever it was in Missouri, but um, mm. I really disliked that film a lot. And
0: But you're a big seven psychopaths head.
1: <laughs> you know me. <laughs> um, I mean, I liked In Bruges at the time, but I, I really love mm. his brother's films. And I felt like this felt like one of his brother's mm. films to me.
0: I always, I love thinking about like brother-, brother filmmakers. One's the Tony Scott, one's the Ridley Scott. And with these guys, I've yet to pin down who's who. <laughs>
1: I just loved Calgary. I loved that film, and um, yeah. Anyway, I love Banties of Venus Such a good. There were so many good donkeys in cinema this year, and that was that was one of them.
0: I've yet to see Eo, the other big donkey movie.
1: Well, that's a that's a great donkey film, <laughs> and there's also a donkey in uh, a scene of War Pony uh, that I another film that is not out yet, but I certainly <laughs> hope it gets released because I really loved it.
0: Well, that's another list that we'll have to compare one time. Best Donkey <laughs> Movies of 2022. Um, one film that I'm actually not sure if a donkey is in it at all, but I would love to present it to you. This was a movie I didn't even know was existing until, like, maybe three weeks before it came out. Uh, the movie is a latest film from Richard Linklater. It's another exploration into the world of rotoscoped animation. It is Apollo 10 and A, a Space Age Childhood. Uh, It is a very small film that is a little bit different to Linklater's filmography in the kind of way that it's told. I feel like he's a director that kind of explores people through the lens of time and this was one that felt almost less linear and more playful closer to like something like he's waking life or even slacker but with a defined perspective it's about a young boy growing up in 1960s texas would you believe it uh who is dreaming about um becoming an astronaut and it kind of takes almost a literal scope where he becomes an a test astronaut that they send to the moon but it's kind of in a surrealistic way where it's not actually what's happening but it kind of takes the shape and the form of the movie through like his I would say it's almost like Richard Linklater's Amacord if you will like it's like a childhood reminiscence about his time but it's done in that rotoscope style that he did with Waking Life and A Scanner Darkly I, for it to not... I didn't even know it existed and then just popped up on Netflix. I don't have not seen almost nobody talk about this movie that came out like almost half a year ago. I really want to kind of bring it back up, put it on my end of year list because I love Richard Linklater and I think when he does these explorations into animation... Who the hell does that? Nobody. Like, you've got Wes Anderson and Guillermo del Toro doing claymation every now and then. But I think him exploring these rotoscoped images are so beautiful.
1: I've never heard
0: of this film. Yeah, I know, right? No, It got nothing during the year. Absolutely freaking squat.
1: Yeah, it's really weird to not have heard of a Linklater. Right. It's like, crazy. <laughs> A
0: Richard Linklater sci fi adventure childhood movie about like going into space in his and yep. it's his animation stuff. It's on Netflix, so yeah. perhaps that's how it kind of disappeared because it didn't get any kind of cinematic release. But I think it is absolutely worth watching. If you have a great setup, this movie is going to make your freaking TV look insane. It's so pretty. It's got beautiful colors. Uh, And I would also just give that shout out to now the trilogy of animated films, A Scanner Darkly, which we did on the podcast earlier this year, and Waking Life. Just two beautiful and now three beautiful surrealist uh, explorations into... I guess some kind of Texas life.
1: That's so. That's so cool. I um. Yeah, I really loved Waking Life. So I, and in fact, I have like a lot of weird sleeping issues and use tri- like tricks from that film to whoa. work out whether I'm dreaming or not. Because there was whoa. <laughs> yeah. So it's exceptionally like you <laughs> exciting! <laughs> <laughs> so you can tell if you're. I've like. I've got sleep paralysis right mm-hmm. and um and well I, I get it sometimes and i've always tried to tip it over into lucid dreaming it's like something i'm attempting yeah. to do but there's a thing in waking life where you can tell if you're dreaming because you try to flick on a light switch and you can't like actively do that and then that's how you work out Whoa. whether you're still asleep or not. So that's what I try to remember when I go to sleep every night. Is like, well, if I get stuck in the thing, I just have to... And it does work. Anyway, I, I thought you
0: were going to say Linklater. you try to talk to Ethan Hawke, but I guess that's the other option.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's what I'll do tonight. I'll try to do that tonight. I've got a sci-fi, a, a film Whoa. maybe you haven't heard of either. Oh, my uh, God. It's a little Please known film. <laughs> It's called Nope.
0: <laughs> it's a great film.
1: Yeah, it's such a good film. No, I don't have a sci-fi no one's heard of, but um, <laughs> Nope is uh, like aside from After Sun, I think this is my favorite film of the wow. year. I loved it, um, and I of uh, course it's the you know, by Jordan Peele, mm-hmm. and I've really enjoyed his previous films like Get Out and and Us, but. This is the film that I think I have thought about the most. Like, Get Out and Us, I enjoyed during watching them. Mm. And, of course, there were some really excellent think pieces that came out about both after one, particularly Get Out. But this is the film that, upon leaving the cinema, I wouldn't have said this is my favourite film of the year because I was a bit Mm. like, eh. But, I don't know, six months on or however long it's been... I think about this film all the time. Um, like, wow. it's one of those films that just sort of stays with you. Um, and it is also set in, it's not set in Texas. No, it's, you know, set it's on a California ranch. California, maybe. But yeah, it's, a, it's a, ranch. a ranch. It's a ranch-style it's a ranch.
0: cinema. There we go. Ranch-style cinema.
1: <laughs> and Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer yeah. as siblings were just, so great like their sibling attitude their energy was Mm -hmm. spot on i loved how they could kind of be really mad at each other and then kind of just totally get each other in a glance you know when they're going shopping um or they're you know on their horses whatever Uh, yeah i just really loved that they shared this kind of connection but also there's so much about this film it really does cross genre so massively Mm. maybe not like as many genres as say like neptune frost which has like 18 genres attached to it i love that film i love that film too um it's so good but this one is yeah like is it a sci-fi is it a western is it a like a a drama I i really enjoyed all that about it and i loved how it kind of clicked between tones so much like it was very kind of tonally, um, kind of all over the shop, this film. And I enjoyed that and I enjoyed the mystery of it. But uh, I think that part of, like, my love for this film was listening to the Still Processing uh, Mm. episode, the New York Times um, podcast about this and they kind of really go into... Like the blackness of the film mm. and why these characters are just trying to um, record evidence of this UFO slash creature that is zooming over their ranch. Um, very slowly normally um, and about their distrust of the authorities and I just it was just such a great companion piece Um, Mm. so I would highly recommend if you haven't seen Nope it's on streaming now but also to listen to that episode it was it's the best thing I've sort of heard or read about the film so far and I think I've read pretty much everything about this film that came out at this point yeah um, but yeah I just I just kept keep coming back to to it and I loved the way they made the um like the UFO creature look like the actual mm. production design was something I've not seen before. Fascinating, right? Yeah, I just there's so much there's so much going on in this film. I feel like, you know, my second third watches will mm. be even deeper. I I love it. It's so and it's also fun, like it was just a yeah. fun film to watch.
0: I have two thoughts coming off that. Thought number one, Kiki Palmer. I'm going to put that Oscar prediction in there. I reckon we're going to see a surprise Oscar nomination in that Kevin Klein, A Fish Called Wanda style, where it's like a bigger, <laughs> slightly broader, comedic, dramatic performance. I am I'm putting that out there into the universe. I want that to happen. Two, uh... This I'm so glad you brought this film up because in our tenure of talking to mo- about movies together over the last like you know half decade, we've been able to talk about all of these Jordan Peele films together. And I remember when we talked about us, it actually felt like for me a graduation from a film for me of like someone talks about cinema because I felt like I was like right on the pr- like the precipice of understanding him as a filmmaker because I think there was like almost. Because Get Out was just so universally acclaimed... And I do think it is like the defining film of that decade of cinema... As far as the culture goes... I think it is a masterpiece... And it it truly defines what cinema was going through at that time... And I think when Us came out... Because it was like a much different, broader horror narrative film... That whereas Get Out was small precise, and then Us was bigger and broader, people were still kind of coming to terms of understanding like what a Jordan Peele film even is, because they had such a closed-in idea, and then Us kind of blew it up. I think Nope is the film that's blown it up for me, even, because I've only seen it once, and I've thought about it a lot, but I'm still going, I need to go back, because... I think it just even defied what my expectations of it were going to be. I thought it was going to be a take on Spielberg, but I didn't expect that it wasn't going to be, you know, Th- Th- Close Encounters of the Third Kind or E.T. or War of the Worlds. I had no idea that I was going to be watching Jaws, and I think that's what I delighted in so much and kind of why I need to go back to Nope and revisit it.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to see it again. I, I I missed it like the first wave of it. Like I didn't see it with a packed cinema mm. or on a big screen. Like by the time I got to see it, it was we were in like five dollar ticket sessions, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I saw it with maybe four other people in the room, and I, yeah, I just I, I adored my time in it. But mm. uh, even more so, even more so after it's so nice when a film just sort of lingers like that.
0: Well, a lingering film for me, which is one that—a lingering film in the truest sense where it has not really escaped me since seeing it, is Park Chan-wook's decision to leave, uh, which is—it uh, oh, is, to me, on the base level of like what I would describe this film as— It is the greatest modernization of, like, the Hitchcockian thriller and, like, bringing that kind of Hitchcockian thriller elements into a 21st century presentation that I did not anticipate at all. Like, I had had kind of gone in thinking this would be another film in the realm of, like, kind of erotic or dangerous thrillers from uh, Park Chan-wook, who made The Handmaiden, who also made one of my favourite films, Old Boy. But I think that these kind of like Hitchcockian elements captured with like freaking Apple Watches and stuff was kind of what has kind of (laughs) kept it stewing in my head more. And it captures like this, it captures a beauty that his films, I think his films are always aesthetically beautiful or always aesthetically fascinating. This one has this new aesthetic to it, which I'm still almost processing where it's like this kind of clean glowiness that I don't even really know how to describe. Have you- You've you caught this film as well, haven't you?
1: Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. I, yes, I-, I don't have the- This is one of the films I was really excited about and I mm. d- didn't like fully- go with it I didn't fully love it but it's also the film that I want to see again Mm. because I want to see it more so that I can pay attention to how Park Chan-wook filmed it because I know that there's just like it's such a complex film in a filming sense you know like the amount of cameras the amount of reflections I'd love to see it again so that I can pay more attention to the actual craft of it God, that is such a wanky thing to say. I but- loved it. Please, 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 please work <laughs> on this podcast, please.
0: I think that's what it is for me. Like, I I, I went in going, like, oh, I love Park chan will i going love this. And I was just so taken by it in a surprising sense. I think when I left, I was like, oh, that was pretty good. But it's really sat with me, and I think it is like this n- kind of interesting aesthetic. Like you're saying, like this craft. I don't even know. I don't even know how to freaking describe like the craft. Like you said, like there's these multiple cameras going on, uh, and the way that it captures like through reflection and stuff in a way that's so interesting. But um, what really captured me is this performance by Tang Wei, a Chinese actor who is the female lead of the film. Uh, this is a fantastic performance. I've only seen her in Lust, Caution and this uh, by Garn film, Long Day's Journey Into Night. Um, and I think that she's just like a, a superb performance, like up there with my favorite performances of the year.
1: She's so good.
0: And I think it's like there's this coldness to that character that is like this, uh, it's a, this encapsulating yet also an undercurrent that i'm still kind of trying to understand like how the relationship between these two leads even work i think that's why it's just stuck with me because i it i there's more to discover for me in that film
1: yeah i'd like to see it again i also saw it at like an 8:30 a.m. screening mm. um which is not a <laughs> never ideal i would say mm. um and i saw it in Khan and uh The girl in the line in front of me was wearing a ball gown. It was 8.30.
0: What? 8.30 in the morning?
1: (laughs) She was ready to go for the party that night, I suppose. It was quite (laughs) impressive.
0: (laughs) They just packed in a full day of movies and they know that they needed to be there all day long and get glammed up by the end.
1: (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah, but I, I mean, I thought it was a really stunning film. Like, visually, it's very beautiful. Mm. Very, very beautiful. Yeah. I and, like, you got- know, it has that kind of Korean melodrama that yeah. I enjoy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's pretty. It's interesting. It's one to keep on your radars. I think that it is out there in some kind of video on demand now. So if you want to catch up with it, please do. Park Chan Wook, I think, uh, is such a fascinating filmmaker, and I hope they get to make films forever.
1: My next one is a film that I only saw last week, and oh, it rocketed yes, I love to a late list. entry.
0: I love a late entry. <laughs>
1: um, it's not out yet, but it is. It's it's done a couple of like early mm-hmm. premieres here. And- and oh, I-, and I, think previews. I know what this is going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's getting released on Invasion Day in mm-hmm. in January. Uh, so there's not too long to wait, but it's tar. Wow. I have to say it like that because if you say it in the Australian way, it's tar. And it, mm. so- it sounds oh, terrible, you're welcome. doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah <exactly>. you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, it does our Kate, of course, playing a predatory lesbian. there is absolutely nothing I like more mm. uh in a film, so I mean she wasn't predatory in Carol, but her as like an older, more powerful woman mm-hmm. in Carol is just the, that's another podcast, but it's this an actor's one is
0: evolution <laughs>
1: yeah but uh Tar is. Yeah, the story of Lydia Tarr, Kate Blanchett, who is a very famous, uh, very renowned conductor who uh, it seems that she has abused her power uh, in a few instances and it's very much about that sort of... Not, I don't want to use the word cancellation. It's mm. very much about reckoning with uh, being you know, these charges kind of coming up against you and who, it's not even like who is right or who is wrong or who is correct or whose memory mm. is right. You're really just in Lydia Tar's world and wow. you are experiencing it as she is, but you're very aware that everything else is going on around you. So you get these like little pop-ups of someone sending a message on their phone or sending a video and you have no idea who is sending that message. Like there are all these like weird little red herrings right throughout the film. Um, It also plays like a comedy. Um, Mm. I was laughing so much in the screening. (laughs) I saw it out. I was hooting in one part. Um, I really just don't want to say too much about it because I purposely didn't read any reviews whatsoever about this film and had a mu- much better time watching it because of it because it just kind of enfolded in front of me and then you can kind of make of it what you wish. Um, but, God, it's glorious. And it's set mostly in Berlin, occasionally in New York, but it's like Cape Blanchett sort of swanning around in this very kind of chic kind of norm core no label fashion but like everything Mm. she costs wears like five thousand dollars it's gorgeous the the um apartments that she lives in divine it's a it's a really great film i really adored it it was so fun and quite ridiculous and kate just gives a powerhouse performance i mean she'll be nominated would she win maybe she'll just win Maybe
0: she will. I think she's the actor that deserves to have, like you know, the the living actor with three or four Oscars.
1: Yeah, why not?
0: And it's also, I feel like this is almost a year where Tar is an example of this, with Todd Field, where we had a filmmaker who I thought would never make another movie comes back and makes a surprise movie. The yeah. other filmmaker I'm thinking about is Ty West, that made X and Pearl, has made two or three movies this year, and I was like, I thought this guy's never going to do anything ever again. Um, but here he is, with, it.
1: Two. <laughs> with
0: two. With yeah. two, and there's a third coming and I can't believe it, but Todd Field, I think, is a fantastic filmmaker. I had I never thought we'd see another film by them.
1: No, I didn't even. No, it was not on my radar anymore. It wasn't like, oh, whatever happened to? You. It was just mm. like, oh, yeah, no, that's fine. But yeah, um, yeah God, it's so fun, and I'm really looking forward to seeing it again. But yeah, don't don't read anything about it. Just go see it. Just go see Tar.
0: Go see Tar, please. <laughs> uh, I am going to put a film onto the list that uh, I. I I really liked it and I'm putting it on here because I saw it pop up in some offensive list saying the (laughs) shittest movies of the year or something by a big (laughs) publication. Uh, This is a film by... uh heroic filmmaker of mine, a Greek-Australian by the name of Dr. George Miller made a movie called 3,000 Years of Longing. And I really loved this movie. I really, really loved it to the point where I think it's my favorite film from the good Dr. George. Um, I think that why I really loved it is because it conjured the same spectacle that first ignited my love of cinema, like those ideas of stories and storytelling and why we tell stories and why we mythologize the world around us as a way to communicate emotions and to communicate love. I really, really loved it. And it was great to see Dave from the Umbilical Brothers in there that I did not know he was going to be there. And he gets to take over the movie for about three or four minutes. And that was a real surprise.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. I didn't know he was in that.
0: He's in it. And Danny Lim, a Sydney icon, is in the movie as well. And Danny's been having a hard time. The police have been treating him like shit. So see this movie for Danny Lim. He's on the big screen if you go see this.
1: Yeah, I would. Uh, I support that. I, I would definitely support that, um, seeing him for Danny Lim. I haven't seen this one yet. Um, it's so. got Dilda
0: Swinton in it.
1: Uh, yeah, I know, I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just missed it. I just it was just one of yeah. those that I missed. Yeah. But if you because you're uh, Do you know what? I would have kept on missing it, but now I'm going to watch it just wow. because of uh, your shit. praise, your praise. Thank
0: <laughs> God. Well, I've done some good out there in the world. It, I really <laughs> really only put it on my list because it got on a list saying the worst movies of the year. I'm like, that's how can you even say that about this movie? So There's rude. so many movies I saw <laughs> that sucked ass, and this is not even close.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not even going to touch those worst film lists. But mm. look, I was I was going to end this with Triangle of Sadness by Robin Ostland mm-hmm. which comes out in uh, Triangle of Sadness by Ruben Ostland which comes out on Boxing Day here. One the you know one the Palm yeah. door Everyone yeah. knows it's an incredible film. It's I've, funny. another see one. In cinema, you'll be to me to
0: see it, I can't wait to see it.
1: You'll be hooting. You'll be hollering. It's just incredible. (laughs) But everybody knows to see Triangle of Sadness. So Mm -hmm. instead, on the Tilda tip, I'm going to end with a little film called Souvenir Part Mm 2. It's the sequel to The Souvenir uh, by Joanna Hogg. It stars Tilda Swinton and Tilda's... Daughter, Anna Swintonburn. Um, and Anna Swinton Byrne a plays baby. a. <laughs> another listed Nepo intro. baby
0: on another list. Yes, yeah, she
1: was on that list. She was on the list. <laughs> um, lucky her. Um, mm. Did you see that Bono's daughter was like kicking up yeah. a stink on Twitter about not being oh, included? Really? It was very funny. Yeah, she's uh, Eve really Hewson. Yeah, she's in uh, Bad Sisters. Anyway. Um, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was very amusing. Um, like most people are being like, I didn't want to be on this list. I don't deserve to be on this list. Anyway, uh, Nepo Baby. That's so funny. I just fell in love
0: with her. She's now my favorite actor for doing that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Nepo Baby, Honest Wittenburn, plays uh, a kind of meta version of director Joanna Hogg. It is the continuing story of this character, Julie, uh, who is, you know, a fill in essentially, a cipher for Joanna Mm. Hogg. when during her time in film school and trying to kind of become a filmmaker and become an artist and grow up and like work out who she is as an adult in the world. Um, But this is one of those times when I think the sequel is as good, if not better than Mm -hmm. the original film. And they work so beautifully together and the kind of little age gap between them is, is wonderful. And, the metaness is just massively upped in this version as well. Um, it ends yeah. so perfectly. I kind of yeah. let out a like "whoo" when it finished because I was just like, "Oh, how did she do it, Joanna? She's done it again." I'm a total hoghead, I will say. <laughs>
0: um,
1: but this was also one of the reasons why I bought my Blu-ray player because A24 released mm-hmm. a double Blu-ray edition of both films. So I was like,
0: "Did you get your hands on it?"
1: Of course I did. The second it yes. came out, I was like, what would Alexi do? Alexi mm-hmm. would buy it. Alexi would yeah. place in his cart. So I did too. Um, it is on streaming, I believe. You need to see Souvenir 1 mm-hmm. to watch Souvenir Part 2. Um, but it's just, it's delightful. It's like, you know, a film about, and yes, it's about like a really rich uh British woman white woman making a film yeah. um but it does go into kind of the privilege of it and uh Richard Ayoade is in it again he's and so good in it he's so good he's such a good character in it anyway I just adore these two films and it just sort of scrapes in because it it just got a small release here in mm. Australia this year so watch them watch them watch them
0: I'm so glad you put this one on the list, Kate, because it did scrape through. Like, it came out, you know, a lot of other countries came out at the end of last year. Here, I caught it so early in the year, I just didn't even think about it. I absolutely love this movie. I think it is better than the first one. Um, but because why I love them together is the difference between the two films. Like, tonally, they're different films but they continue the same story where the first film is like this dark tragedy and i i'm probably hyperbolizing by even using the word dark but it is a uh, a deeper emotional well the first film and then the second film is about trying to understand that emotional well that you've fallen down or that 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 is within you and it is quite funny, and it is quite insightful. And I think it was, uh, you know, having... It's a, a film about someone going to film school, having gone through that experience. There's this real, real scene. One of the realest things I've ever seen in a movie is, like, this bickering argument between the low stakes that are so high of making a student film. And I was just like, this is so real. It is so... It's like kind of bitingly funny at how snippy it is, <laughs> but I just th- I really really love this, and I I am so close to buying that freaking Blu-ray as well. But Do I it. think I'm gonna be oh, okay. I will. I was gonna I was gonna hold off, but you've convinced me. I'm no. buying it.
1: Do it because there's also this really great uh, bonus feature with um, Scorsese uh, talking wow. about Executive why he loves producer. the film, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. talking to Joanna Hogg and. There's this whole like mini feature about like, is it really Joanna Hogg's story? Which is a bit mm. silly, but quite fun. Anyway, uh, yeah, just great films and great soundtracks. Um, yeah. I actually made a Spotify playlist of all <laughs> the songs from both films that you can search for. Um, it's like a public playlist, but uh, yeah. it's a good thing to have in the background.
0: That is so good. Uh, any <laughs> other films you want to kind of mention before you wrap things up?
1: Oh, um, I mean, I really loved "You Won't Be Alone" by Goran um, which was mm. filmed in Macedonia. It's essentially about shape-shifting witches. It's sort of the last film you would expect to come out, uh, like to come from an Australian director. Yeah, I loved his other film this year, "Of an Age."
0: I loved it. I loved it. I loved it.
1: I hope that gets a big release next year. Um, it should do because that is that would be on my top five for sure. But it's not. Who knows when mm-hmm. it's being released? That's um, probably
0: why I held off from putting it on mine. So <laughs> because I'm like, I don't, if I say I love this movie, who's, you got? You can't see it. Just keep it in the back of your mind, dear listener. Keep it there, <laughs> of an age. Keep it in there. Yeah
1: see it um the only other one it hasn't come out yet and i'm really hoping that it gets released it's dehumani corpus fabrica it's a french documentary uh largely filmed with laparoscopic cameras uh just footage of of um footage of actual surgeries happening Mm. and it was one of the best experiences of my life
0: (laughs) oh my gosh okay uh, you're a little strange. I hate to say
1: it. <laughs> so are you. What are yours?
0: <laughs> well, uh, I've got two that I want to say. Uh, I loved Triple R. I felt that I was so blessed to have seen it in the cinema. Um, That's probably my best time at the movies all year. I went with my partner. We had the day off together. I'm like, let's see a movie. I, I'd heard like one thing about this film and I was like, let's just go see this. It's three hours long. It'll be fun. And we saw with a packed crowd, and we were the only white people in the whole audience, and people were cheering and screaming, and it was like the most fun I've ever had. I was. The, cl- the most pure joy I felt in a movie was seeing, like, the spectacle of that film, and I think that was kind of where I was like, okay, the blockbusters are back when I'm seeing this, <laughs> and the surprise of my life to see it have this huge life after see it catching it think like, this one screening and me going, trying to get all my friends to go see it with me again, and to see it, like, blow up, it's made me very happy. Um, the other one is a movie that I know you love uh, by Amanda Kramer, it's a movie called Give Me Pity, and... I love this kind of movie. It stars uh, Sophie von Hasselberg, who is the daughter of Bette Midler, a Nepo baby, playing a a, a deranged Bette Midler type. And I love a bizarre, (laughs) surreal movie that has a conceit and then it doesn't break that conceit and what this film is doing is it's like a almost like a lost tv special from the 70s or 80s and it just presents itself as thus and it feels like a kind of i guess a more modern context is like a bizarre uh midnight adult swim experiment uh but i just i thought that was quite magical for me that film
1: i love it it is so unhinged that movie it's is bizarre. unhinged and i yeah. loved every second
0: loved it loved it loved it loved it Kate, thank you so much for joining me here at this end-of-year wrap-up. I'm glad we got to share our cinematic experience with each other this this year. I've got a great podcast, See Also. It comes out on Saturdays and it's a great weekly pop culture catch-up of like maybe some things that you've been watching, listening, maybe some things that the listener might have missed out on, but it is so tasteful. I think that's what I always think about with you, Kate, is that your taste is so good and to get a weekly dose most of that, a weekly update, is so fantastic.
1: Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's so fun to do. I do it with an excellent writer, critic uh, named Brody Lancaster, a friend of mine, and uh, it's just such a fun... We do, like, a real connect the dots on mm. the things that we're watching and listening to and thinking about, and then... Recommend sort of older pieces or whatever. So everything is very interconnected. It's a very fun thing to do. And uh, we love it when you're a guest on it, also, Alexi.
0: Uh, I'll come back anytime. I listen to it every single week. So, oh. well, you know, when it comes out, sometimes you take a week off, you are there because you're exploring <laughs> the freaking world, Kate. Okay? Us girl buses. Yeah, cinema, going to cinemas in Goa. I can't believe it. That's uh, a, <laughs> you know, you live a lavish lifestyle.
1: Do you know when. Uh next year, the thing that I am most excited about, Alexi, is mm. a film, little film that I think you'll I be excited about. I know what it's going to
0: be. I'm so excited because I got oh an email God. about it yesterday.
1: <gasps> about a preview?
0: No, just going, oh, hey, just keep trailer. this in your yes. radar. That book club, <laughs> God, the thank sequel, God. The Book Club, is coming out. <laughs>
1: yes! I cannot <laughs> wait. Our gals are in Italy. I mean, wow. buongiorno. I cannot wait.
0: Yes, Diane Keaton is back, Candace Bergen is back, Jane Fonda is back, and I am hoping we will see the return of Richard Dreyfuss and Wallace Shawn there somewhere. <laughs>
1: Uh, oh, God. Wallace Shawn in Sicily. I, I can but dream. Anyway, I hope we get to see that one in uh, 2023 yeah. together, Alexi. That at least, at the very we'll least, that's what hosting. we'll be catching up on. Yep.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you so much to all the listeners joining in us on this uh, as well. I'll put the list of our movies just in the show notes as well so you can keep track of them and Find them for yourself when the time comes. Uh, but thank you so much. I hope you have a very beautiful 2023 in the cinemas, or wherever you choose to worship the art of cinema. You don't have to go to church to pray. That's what I say. You can watch them at home, too, and I don't think any less of you. Uh, Enjoy those. Thank you for supporting the podcast this year as well. Next year, I will be doing something a little bit different at the start of the year, still in the realm of movies. Uh, I talked about on our last episode with Cameron where we were talking about our favorite films of all time. And it'll be a bit more of a recommendation show, almost like a video store attendant telling you movies that you should watch based on your taste. That's kind of what I want to do for a little while. And then Cam and I have got like a big podcast idea that will be coming out on this feed a little later on in the year. But we have been working tirelessly on a new documentary type ideas that's all I'll say so we have not had much podcasting ability together recently even though we've seen each other probably 12 hours a day every day uh, for like the last two months
1: I'm so excited by all those things you just mentioned
0: yeah well you know that's it just teasers they're teasers for now that's it teasers out there into the world and the hopes and prayers to put you into your into your daily routines as you watch movies to think about me and the the journey that we're all on in cinema <laughs> Uh, Thank you very much. Happy New Year, everybody.